coming up on The Medicine Podcast. It's also relevant to point out I'm a guy. (laughs) I generally am not going to experience HPV in the way that these women who are writing into you with these incredible testimonials, I'm not going to really ever experience that shame necessarily. And I'm an OBGYN. I trained hard clinically and surgically in managing this HPV thing and the cervical dysplasia and all the pap smears and all of the follow-up. And the problem that I really found was like, I'm giving people this information, but then I'm not really providing them any tools or community or empowerment or really even support. But what are you, my, the person I took an oath to care for, what are you able to do in the meantime? Women would inevitably find me, DM me. I would have hundreds of women in my DMs after these big shows that I would do, just desperate for answers. And it just like, I get like emotional even thinking about it sometimes right now. The stories that were coming to me were just heartbreaking. Realizing that these women felt like they had no one to turn to. They had a doctor, yes, but they weren't getting help from their gynecologist. There was so much lack in education around this thing, this HPV thing. And they were just desperate for help, for answers, for guidance, for a fucking friend who wasn't going to shame them who could maybe point them in the right direction. Yeah. So that's what really is missing from the the mainstream sort of conventional model is support on every level, physical, emotional, mental, relational, spiritual. Welcome back to the show. And I am so honored today because I get to play host to these two beautiful individuals, Dr. Nathan Riley. Yo. My beloved Mimi Lindquist. Hello. Welcome back to the Medicine Podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I feel like I'm back too. Yeah, like this yeah. is really fun. Yeah, I and love it. And now we're in person. We're not doing this in yeah. my garage in the cold. <laughs> yeah, it's so that. good to have you here with us. I'm so happy to be here with you. I love you yeah. guys. I love, I love you too. Man. My hands You're... are a little cold. Sorry, Mimi. No, it's all good. Yeah. Last saw you in Louisville. Mm-hmm. You had a nice time out there for that conference. Oh, it was so fun. So fun to be a part of such an incredible event and to like witness you in all of your magic um, and the community that you're building and the work that you're doing in the world is so absolutely important. And um, it was just an honor to be a small piece of that event, sponsoring it and getting to meet your community and see you in action. It was just amazing. Yeah. I well, you know, people had such a great reception to, you know, we didn't have a lot of companies directly represented there with individuals. And you guys were like, can we come out? And I was like, fuck yeah, you can come out. This is going to be <laughs> awesome to see you. So it wasn't even just the conference. We went into like my one of my favorite hiking trails. Yeah. You got to meet my little girls and mm. my wife and hang out in my patio. Like it was just, yeah. like we're real friends now. We yeah. hung out in Absolutely. person. You fed us organ meat sausage. <laughs> <laughs> then we cut our hands and mixed our blood. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. So that was we the are, best part. We are <laughs> legitimately blood brothers and sisters at this point. I am so excited to be having this conversation. You two have been planting seeds in a territory that has needed growth it has needed life it has needed vitality and this has been such a labor of love Mm. that the blossoming is about to begin baby (laughs) yeah the growth has begun and the fruiting of these incredible seeds that have been planted um is now showing up and uh, today we get to talk about 
this incredible program that both of you have developed uh, after years of working with people, um, after countless conversations and testimonials and your own deep dives into these particular lanes um, around HPV and the people impacted by HPV. And so today we'll get to unpack uh, a lot of that. Yeah. I wanted to start this off with a, with a testimonial uh, that really encapsulates so much of what we're going to be talking about today and so much of what you two have, have been through in your work. And so I'll read it. This is from uh, an anonymous source, um, but it reads, I was diagnosed with high-risk HPV 16 and 18 at the end of 2020 and was shamed by my gynecologist. I left the office in tears. After three abnormal pap smears, I decided to work with you. After three months, I just received news that I am HPV free and I am now worry free. Mm. Oh man, just immediate like lump in my throat, heart expansion. This is this is why we do this work. <laughs> and this is just one of many that I've been witness to in, in both of your work over the last few years. Um, and we'll get into this. We'll, we'll unpack this and, and all of all of what led up to this person's uh, story of, of clearing. Um, but we're going to be talking about the clear and free program today that you two have developed. But before we get into the program, I really want to take a step back for a minute and highlight educate a little bit about what hpv is so maybe both of you could take me through what is hpv and who does this impact yeah want me to start go for it sure well um so <laughs> i think it's it's also relevant to point out i'm a guy <laughs> i generally am not uh going to experience hpv in the way that you know these women who are writing into you with these incredible testimonials. I'm not going to really ever experience that shame necessarily, because HPV is largely considered this sort of women's sexually transmitted infection, and of course men can pass that on, and that's a part of the the deal here. But there's nothing in my, I don't know, my experience as a man that's necessarily going to be directly impacted by this. And I'm an OBGYN. I trained hard mm -hmm. clinically and surgically in managing this HPV thing and the cervical dysplasia and all the pap smears and all of the follow-up and looking at the algorithm. Are you coming back in six months or 12 months? Like what's the risk of it developing into, you know, cer uh, cervical intraepithelial neoplasia, mouthful there, and then maybe cancer. Like I did all of that. But the problem that I, um, that I really found was like, <laughs> I'm giving people this information, but then I'm not really providing them any tools or community or empowerment or really even support and what they can do in order to make sure that not only is my language and the way I'm showing up in the clinic making them feel less shame or less guilt or um, but maybe how to talk to your partner about this or what can I do from a lifestyle standpoint or are there any supplements out there that can be helpful I, I had the impression that there was but I wasn't ever incentivized or trained to do that it was just sort of like well good luck, I'll see you in six months. And hopefully it doesn't get worse because if it does, then we have to do these painful biopsies and we have to maybe go and lop off a chunk of cervix, which great, I'm glad I know how to do that. But what are you, my, the person I took an oath to care for, what are you able to do in the meantime? Mm -hmm. So you asked about HPV, human papilloma virus. This is a, um, there is a transmission of this thing. Viruses are not living things. 
but it is transmissible through intercourse, through close contact in other ways. Um, gay men are also impacted by this. It can form anal cancer in gay men, but the vast majority of people listening are probably going to think HPV, cervix, Gardasil, they're going to go that whole path. So this DNA virus can be transmitted sexually. Um, I don't think we know a lot about what viruses really are, but the way I like to view it, and I know this is part of the reason you and I started working together, is that this can't be a disease in and of itself, because that really kind of strips the power away. Instead, what if we could reframe it as a signal from the outside? Mm -hmm. It's maybe the pain doctor knocking. I mean, you could reframe this in a variety of ways, but now that you have that signal, what can we, how can we respond to that signal? So we were looking through some t- statistics earlier, and we're looking at incidence and prevalence. This is not a, a, uh, a thing that is rare. Mm-hmm. Virtually every right. woman of reproductive age now has been exposed to HPV. Uh, we think it's around 80 million people. Now, not every man is going in and getting the screening, so we, it's probably an underreporting. But 80 million people per the CDC in the United States alone are coping with this. So if you feel alone out there, if you feel isolated, you're not. Mm-hmm. Like This is not something to be ashamed about any more than miscarriage is, ashamed, is something yeah. to be ashamed right. about. The way that I sometimes talk about it is like it's so common that it's like the common cold for your cervix. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, yeah it's like anyone who's having sex or even in close contact, skin-to-skin contact, is potentially at risk with being exposed to HPV. That's right. That's right. So if, on average, you know, we're looking at roughly 14 million per year being added to this pool, this is a problem that I think impacts everybody. So you asked, who is this program for? Who is this conversation for? If you have a cervix, it's definitely for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you have sex with somebody who has a cervix, it's definitely <laughs> for you. If you have sex with somebody who... Uh, and you have anal sex, it's probably for you. Um, but more importantly, it kind of goes back to my roles in OBGYN. I'm not just a doctor. I've got two little girls. I've got a wife. I've got a sister. I've got a mother. I've got a pl- plenty of friends, female friends in my life who are definitely struggling with this conversation. So I think that everybody should be invested in this conversation. And in the program, we actually get into the immune system. We get into vaccines and all the adjuvants. Like We really cover a broad array of topics that tie into this, mm-hmm. which is why I think it's a it's a really fun place to start with um, who is this for? Mm-hmm. And there, there's nobody out there whose life is not going to be touched in some mm-hmm. way by the the way that our conventional medical model handles this very, very common, you know, quote, infection. I'm using yeah. you know, air quotes on my end. Yeah. And getting back to a little bit of the HPV basics, um, H, we speak about this virus as if it's one virus, but we know that viruses mutate, they change, they evolve, <laughs> and it's actually a cluster of viruses or strains um, under this umbrella that we call HPV or human papillomavirus. And there are kind of buckets of low risk and high risk strains. So depending on uh, what strain you have, it might show up or manifest differently in the body. So generally, the low-risk strains are going to be associated with things like genital warts. The high-risk strains are probably not going to have any physical manifestation or symptoms. You're going to see it come up. If it, if it progresses, uh, you're going to see it more so associated with cervical dysplasia and cells sort of mutating and becoming damaged on the cervix, 
which if that's left untreated or if it continues to progress, can progress to cervical cancer. So that's why they call it high risk. And low risk meaning, yeah, you have genital warts, but you're probably at a very low risk of getting cervical cancer. But you can have co-infection of multiple strains. So someone could have something like genital warts, but they might also have a high-risk strain in there as well that their body is not able to integrate for some reason. And they might also have the beginnings of cervical dysplasia. So I want to make that really clear that just because you are diagnosed HPV positive, don't immediately jump to, oh my God, HPV, that's what causes cervical cancer, right? There's so much that that happens, that has to happen, usually decades. You can correct me here or add here, but usually decades before it develops into something even remotely close to cervical cancer. So I just want to put that out there in the very beginning um, because oftentimes the women who find me, (laughs) they had just come off of Dr. Google, which can be really frightening, alarming. And especially if you don't, if you don't know how to read your results well, you might not even know what strain you have. Um, So that's, that's really important. I think to put out there in the beginning. Yeah. You can go to WebMD and find yourself in a spiraling stress, (laughs) you know, whirlpool down to hell right now. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, So I definitely want to get into, you know, what are, what are people seeing when they Google this thing? What's the mainstream approach to it? But I'd love to hear from you before we get there, both of you, and maybe we'll start with you, babe. Each of your experience, you know, in this case, mostly with with women likely, but each of your experience um, working with those who have either directly or in a lot of cases, indirectly, Mm -hmm. whether it's a loved one or someone they care about in their life deeply, been impacted by Mm -hmm. HPV. What does that look like for both of you? Yeah. Yeah, I'll start. Um, So, I am classically trained. (laughs) My degree is in dental health science. So I am a dental hygienist by degree. And in my work as a clinical dental hygienist, I'm every single patient that comes in, I'm looking at their medical history and updating it every single time. So I'm, I started to see, you know, back in 2016, 2017, a lot of women that have this diagnosis and they're sharing it with me. They trust me. I'm, you know, a a medical provider of sorts Um, and seeing this trend that it it is very, very common. Um, And in my work as a dental hygienist, my focus is on disease prevention and not only of the mouth, but you know, the mouth is just a, it's, it's the gateway to the body and it's, it's important, but it is, it's connected to everything else. So being the, avid health enthusiast that I am and and that I became, I was always looking for ways to help my patients, uh, not just with their dental hygiene, but really to hopefully inspire them and educate them in a way that helps them take full ownership of their health, not just their teeth, but like what's the rest look like here? So I was constantly, you know, give, like writing on little post-it notes, certain podcasts or books that I think could be helpful for this person. Um, and so very early on, that was a huge passion of mine is educating in a way where someone feels like, you know what? I've never really heard it put it that way. I, I, I'm going to take that to heart and I'm going to do something with it. And education was really my, my most favorite 
part of being a dental hygienist. You know, you're seeing eight to 10 patients a day and every person is different and new. And you kind of are figuring out this puzzle together. And it was really, really rewarding to see people every three months or six months come back and see how their life is improving, how their health is improving, certainly their oral health, but like, how's everything else, you know? So I took that very, very seriously in my work. Um, my work as a dental hygienist then led me down a path of um, discovering and really diving into the world of medicinal mushrooms. And I, in my own health journey, I took a step back from dental hygiene and I really just decided to focus on myself. I was, we were working through, I was working through a lot of, you know, people know some of our story, but we were divorced, Chase and I, and I had a lot to deal with on the, on my inner, in my inner world. And I was just in a really high stress environment. So I took a step back and just started to focus on myself, healing my insides and really put all my creative and work energy into medicinal mushrooms, holistic health, and sharing that on, you know, Instagram. And as I was doing that and, you know, going to these events like in Japan, the International Congress on Nutrition and Integrative Medicine in 2019, I had a front row seat to researchers and physicians from all over the world that were presenting the new research on AHCC, active hexose correlated compound, and all sorts of different diseases and conditions, one of them being HPV. This was a, an unpublished at the time, but it was ongoing. It was this uh, phase two, double-blinded, placebo-controlled sort of gold standard of, of research led by Judith Smith out of Texas. And she shared these incredible results for clearing HPV. And when I heard these results, my jaw was on the floor and I was just like, I have to share this because from my work as a dental hygienist, I was seeing how many women were dealing with this. And I was also sharing on Instagram and they were coming to, to, to me, you know, with my work on, on AHCC. And when I got back to the States, I just started blasting it, you know, and I would go on different podcasts and share what I, what I knew. And women would inevitably find me, DM me. I would have hundreds of women in my DMs after these big shows that I would do just desperate for answers. And it just like, I get like emotional even thinking about it sometimes right now. The stories that were coming to me were just heartbreaking. And realizing that these women felt like they had no one to turn to. They had a doctor, yes, but they weren't getting help from their gynecologist. There was so much lack in education around this thing, this HPV thing. And they were just desperate for help, for answers, for guidance, for a fucking friend who wasn't going to shame them, who could maybe point them in the right direction. And I just would, I would get so overwhelmed hearing about the shame associated with this virus because it is sexually transmitted and because of all the underlying gross, shameful things that we connect to sex yeah. in our culture. There's a lot of shame around sex, yes, yet it's plastered everywhere. Right. And people feel like they can't talk about this very intimate space just out there on the web. Like yeah. you just don't see people talking about this because there is this shame associated with this virus, even though it is the common cold. It is the, 
the cervical common cold. Like 80 with, million people. With how common yeah. it is. But I was hearing words from these women like, I feel gross. I feel dirty. I feel ashamed. I don't even want to have sex with my partner. Am I allowed to date? Is it unethical to date yeah. or to have sex? And just no answers out there, not only from the mental and emotional side, but also from the physical side. Like, what can I do to help my body? Is it really only the vaccine? Is it really only like scraping off a piece of my cervix that, that's going to help this? And so I just, I really started to, to see the need and continue sharing. And it has brought me to this point where I cannot help there's so many inquiries and women and partners, men find me too, but it's mostly women who need help in this space. And I just, you know, we just don't have a good mm -hmm. option that addresses the physical, the mental, the emotional, the relational and the spiritual on every aspect. And I, I just knew that I needed to create something that could help anyone in the world. Um, and uh, and that's, you know, this this program needed to be created four years ago, but all the puzzle pieces of my life needed to come into place in such a way where it was, it's meant to be, it's on time and in time right now, teaming up with Nathan and his expertise and his direct clinical experience and the women that he works with, everything is perfect the way that it's working out. And I'm just so incredibly proud and honored to be able to help <laughs> women and finally have an answer uh, for these women who are desperate for answers. Yeah. So that's been my experience. And um, I'll kick it to you, Nathan. Jeez. I went to med school and then I decided I wanted to team up with Mimi. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, it's hard to follow up such a uh, you, you bring such passion to this work. Um you know, we've been, you know, shooting the, the shit all day today. And the reason I, I love working with you, both of you, is, um, and this is even related to coming out to the conference, is like, you, you can show up in a couple ways in the world. And if you're, if you're not going to do something and put feet on the ground, like, you know, what's the Brene Brown thing? Or uh, was it a uh, Teddy Roosevelt quote? Like, if you're not in the arena, like, your, your opinion really yeah. is, yeah. is yeah. not valuable here. I'm paraphrasing Teddy Roosevelt. But, <laughs> but anyways, um, I guess... Uh, you know, finding somebody who actually has that passion towards like, I just want to do this thing that I know is going to be helpful to these, to so many women in the world. And as a woman, you can relate in such different ways. I, um, of course, my story is a little bit different, but after I went through residency, I did a fellowship in hospice and palliative care, which I think we talked about when we did a previous interview. And in both my role as an OBGYN, especially as a chief resident, as well as, of course, my fellowship at UC San Diego where people would come for third or fourth opinions, Hail Marys mm. for their, you know, unusual cancers and whatnot. Um, it's a massive cancer center down there. We saw so much cervical cancer and it would, and us doctors, when we have specialties, we tend to have this like tendency to think this is a really common problem because I'm seeing it all the time. But of course you're not seeing the other 9 billion people, <laughs> not 9 billion, seven, 7 plus billion people who didn't get cervical cancer. And having said that, this cervical cancer thing is one of, it wreaks havoc on a, on, on, on a person. It's the most vulnerable space in a woman's body. And so they develop this cancer and of course they feel shame and they can't have sex anymore 
So towards that very end of life, they want to be intimate. Like there's radiation treatment. All the chemos knocked you out. I mean, maybe there's a massive surgery that took place. That's actually less common because cervical cancer spreads in such a way that surgery sometimes is just is just like not useful anymore. So this is a highly, a tremendously tragic event. Unfortunately, it's very rare. But I was watching this and I was like, gosh, like this 34-year-old with four kids now is going to die of this thing. And she probably saw the same campaign posters I did when I was in college that were like, you know, um, one less, get the HPV vaccine. I'm sure we'll get into that history. But if you don't remember, guys, like this HPV vaccine that every little kid down to the age of nine now is supposed to get, like that was the promise. That was like our salvation from this. And we haven't seen a lick of difference in the actual number of cervical cancer patients walking through the door. So all of this is to say that, you know, going back to what I was saying about being an OBGYN trainee and working in the in a clinical practice as an OBGYN, it was it was like oh, the next step is to do a biopsy. And I can't tell you how many people have said there was one woman who said I'd rather die of cervical cancer than have another biopsy wow. because wow. it was so painful. Hmm. So Jeez. the way we do it, just for anybody listening, it's a little maybe a little graphic, but you know, you put a speculum in and you look at the cervix. And then you can either apply like an iodine-based solution or even acetic acid. And then where you see the most prevalent changes or lack thereof, you then will go with this little thing that kind of is like this. And -hmm. you literally go and you pop them in and rip out. Like a claw. It's like a claw. And it takes a chunk of your cervix, which Mm. has a ton of nerve endings. Mm. And we would, you know, use like lidocaine and whatnot. But this is tremendously... uh, painful thing imagine like us, somebody coming and taking a chunk of the tip of our penis off right or something. it's a medieval yeah it's like it's it's numbed up like are you sure i mean like that's a pretty gnarly thing and what now has happened is colposcopy has kind of flown away is we do random biopsies that's actually been shown just as as effective at finding um abnormal you know really either invasive cancer or this advanced cin that we've been talking about and every time I did it, I was like, my attendings would get mad at me because I didn't get enough enough tissue because I was like afraid to do it. I was like, oh my God. And so, you know, taking a step back from all of that, the entire time I was thinking about cancer, we know that on, in general, cancer takes on average, every, any type of cancer, probably about 10 years. Like your body has been working on this for 10 years. And at some point it wasn't able to, to fight the fight. And the cancer start overwhelmed the immune system. And so that got me like reading quite a bit of literature. Like we're talking peer-reviewed journals, New England Journal, Lancet, like Cell, Nature, big journals around how the immune system was related to cancer. And, you know, AHCC is such a beautiful product. And I'll tell you, you know, a little bit more about that in my experience because it actually enhances it just it, it interconnects your nervous system and it boosts up all the right cells so that you can you know, sort of, um, you can meet the mm-hmm. cancerous cells yeah. like on, on the playing field. And so then it was like, well, okay, so if the immune system is related here, what else are we doing for them? Like we're literally doing nothing. In fact, we're giving you poison that's going to wreck your immune system in hopes of curing the disease. So anyways, all of this is to say that I've been thinking about this for a very long time. And with two little girls of my own, this salvation of Gardasil 9 also was like, Okay, got to look into that now because what happened with COVID, I started thinking about, can I really take this for face value? Like, I am not going to believe anybody. It doesn't matter what your credentials are. I guess I need to go and do the research myself because this is becoming too confusing. 
And then I got really deep into the into the hole around Gardasil 9 and the history of Merck and Vioxx and, and uh, the safety and efficacy of every single vaccine that had been pushed on my little girls, which fortunately we were able to push back. But this Gardasil thing is going to be a real conversation between my wife and I, because she also saw those same campaigns back when we were kids. So all of that is to say that as a as a male who ref- is reflective of the conventional medical model, which I think has made so many women feel shame, which has done a lot of harm and a lot of good. Sure. But a lot of people are not necessarily stoked about going to their gynecologist. <laughs> so given that that's my background, yeah, having somebody like you, Mimi, and finding your work, and I, honestly, I can't even remember how we all met. Maybe it was through Paul Check. Yeah, or, I think it was. Was it? Um, I remember finding your work and then you had sent me a study that came out that showed that like with pretty conclusive, um, let's say a, a, a really great demonstration as to how some basic stuff that we do in the environment mm-hmm. and maybe adding some directed supplementation for a period of time, not for the purpose of having a, a bigger boner in the morning and, <laughs> and going out and getting it David Goggins style, but really just to like so give the nervous system or the uh, well, nervous system and the immune system a little support. Mm-hmm. So that they can look ahead to that six month visit, and they like walk away feeling like they just got a, a no cavities. Yeah, at their yeah. they yeah. used to feel so great as a kid. Yeah, <laughs> and while they're not necessarily comparable, it's one of those things where like if I was going to go back to the dentist and I didn't brush my teeth ever, <laughs> I wouldn't expect a different result. Yeah, and and now I think we have a way of building a bigger conversation mm-hmm. around what can be done in the environment yeah yeah in order to mm-hmm. support the clearance or the integration of this virus and so you can go on with your life yeah and like wave goodbye you know yeah. it could still come back in the future but like we now you have the tools to like just keep dialing this in yeah. every step of the way and i'm hoping to be able to impress that upon my girls as well because yeah. I'm, I'm not super stoked about the vaccine either yeah yeah and so let's let's get into that let's Walk me through what the mainstream current options for treating HPV look like. And maybe mm-hmm. even a little history of the vaccine. Yeah. Because we mentioned the vaccine. You mentioned a, a, a cervix scraping, which yeah. sounds brutal. But but what does it look like if someone Googles you know HPV treatments mm-hmm. or goes into their doctor and they hear that they've got HPV? And what do the next steps typically look like? Yeah. I can start and then maybe you can jump into the vaccine. Yeah, totally. Um, so the quote unquote solutions or the treatment options that are out there, if you have an HPV um, positive result, positive screening, and, and we'll speak to the high risk strains that that can lead to cervical cancer. Um, so these are quote unquote solutions that are not actually solutions. So the first that they might hear is okay, just come back in six months or okay, yep, you got HPV, come back in a year and we'll retest you. Well, that's not a solution. That's a waiting game. And she's left in the meantime, wondering what the heck? Like, I just come back and like, is there anything I can do? Like, what is that it? And what I hear from women a lot is the gynecologist sort of acts like nonchalant about it. There's not a lot of education that's a vast understatement. There's hardly any education going on. Uh, And so the gynecologist is probably diagnosing three to five people a day with, with HPV um, because it's so common. And so to her, to the gynecologist or him, 
to the gynecologist, it's it's not actually a big deal because she knows that the majority of people who get diagnosed with HPV can clear it just fine. But there's a subset of people that cannot. And so she's telling the individual, yep, just come back in a year and we'll retest you. And we'll Most see. Most people clear it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm sure it's fine. It's, it'll be fine. Yeah. Come back in a year. It's a waiting game. It's not a solution. The next quote unquote solution that they might talk about, depending on how far it is progressed when you get that diagnosis, is uh, a, a procedure called a LEAP, a loop electrosurgical excision procedure. And this is when they go in and sort of cut or they use a hot uh, a hot wire basically to slice off a piece of the cervix that has the cervical dysplasia, the damaged cells. So they're literally taking a portion of your cervix away. That's sort of like going to the doctor and having a wart frozen off. It gets rid of the manifestation, but it's not actually treating the body. So that's another solution that is not actually a solution. And it's kind of heartbreaking because a lot of women that find me, maybe they already have had a LEAP procedure and they think that that got rid of the virus. So there's a lack of education going on there as well because you're just removing the damaged cells. You're not actually clearing the virus from your body. So that cervical dysplasia can come back. So that's the next non-solution solution that they give. And the third non-solution uh, that they might recommend to a patient who's HPV positive is to get the vaccine, Gardasil 9 vaccine. This is a, a very hot topic and I have to like sort of keep myself kind of calm when I talk about it because it's it's truly maddening when you are able to really dive into the research and look at the data and look at the outcomes, look at the risks and everything that goes into this vaccine conversation. But the thing that's most disturbing to me is that these gynecologists are, are recommending a vaccine for a person who already has been tested screen, screen positive. On the CDC website, the main page for the HPV Gardasil vaccine, it says, this vaccine will not treat or cure an existing HPV infection. And I'll kick it to Nathan here, but I'll close with saying, and there, there is some research to, to indicate that shows that if you have been exposed to HPV and you, then on top of that, you get the, the vaccine, it can actually have negative efficacy, meaning that you might be more likely to get it, have cervical dysplasia that can lead to cervical cancer if you've already been exposed. And, and I'll, I'll kick it to you, Nathan, to, to talk about the vaccine a little bit more. Yeah, totally. I, I think it's uh, it was very well said. Thank you, Mimi. The um, I think it's I think it's important for us to go back to some of the principles that we the sort of uh, presumptions we have around disease and cancer and healing, which um, kind of prompts two two stories for me to illustrate this. So, cancer, of course, is something the big C word. We don't want to hear it, and we have long been invested in this idea that that your genes are responsible for the development of cancer. And while that's probably partly true, they have done actual, you know, molecular biologists have taken the, you know, we've taken our healthy cells and a group of cancerous cells and they flip-flop the nuclei and the healthy cells remain healthy and the cancerous cells remain cancerous, which tells us it is at least not entirely 
the genetic material, which is which lives in the nucleus, this little organelle of the cell. I, they probably wouldn't call it an organelle, but whatever. This little area where all of the chromosomes, all the genetic material lies. So that that tells us that the the majority of the cell, the cytoplasm, the environment around the genes is actually more important. The other story I can tell, which is something that has that came up over and over and over again at our um, our stem cell transplant center up at UCSD, whereby you know if a person has let's say leukemia, the one of certain types of leukemia are going to be best treated by blasting you with such high dose of chemo that your bone marrow is completely blown apart. So no white white cells, no red cells, no platelets. Your bone marrow has been scorched, and without a Without bone marrow, without any of those cells, you're going to die. So what we do is find a donor that is not likely to have a, you're not likely to have an immune response to their blood cells. We take an aspirate from their bone marrow and we now put it into you such that we've now reoccupied your bone marrow with, quote, healthy bone marrow. Leukemia can't develop out of healthy bone marrow because it developed out of the, the unhealthy bone marrow that you were living with. Well, the majority of the time, the leukemia comes back. So what the fuck? Again, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. the environment. Something upstream hasn't yet changed. Yeah. So speaking to the prevention, that's really where I think most of us are concerned. But we have to bear in mind treatment and prevention need to be done simultaneously while we sort of bridge us to a point where we have less and less and less to treat. And then we can just wholeheartedly say we know a way of, of nixing this whole thing for the rest of history. doesn't really happen like that. But that's the, that's the idea. So back in do you want to go like just into the vaccine now yeah okay because it seems i mean from from my seat it seems as if the intention of the vaccine is prevention mm -hmm. which exactly. is also an odd treatment option if it is meant to be preventative but then it sounds mm -hmm. like there's some downsides to even the use of it as a preventative right. medicine right right yeah so let's talk about gardasil 9 that's the the primary vaccine that is advertised again to kids as young as nine in order to prevent cervical cancer the idea of course there being that they aren't likely sexually active until maybe their late teens or something. So we've got to get it in early. Yeah. So we're talking like middle school age, right? Like, isn't nine? Oh, that might even be elementary school. Yeah, it's like elementary. Fifth grade. Yeah. yeah. So, but bef right before I do that, for those who, you know, are maybe kind of new to this screening and you're just curious about what is the recommendation for how often to go for a pap smear, also known as a Papa Nicolau exam or a Papa Nicolau, uh scream. Um, screen <laughs> might be a screen. There's, yeah. uh, there's a lot of uh, hard words in this <laughs> yeah. episode. Um, so when you go back to your OBGYNs, roughly at I think it's like 21 to 25 is really when you start that. Before 21, it's not necessarily considered like a normal thing to do. Again, because it takes so long for this stuff to develop. But you're going to oftentimes be presented on a th every three to five year basis with an HPV screen, which looks for those high risk uh, strains most notably 16 and 18. And then you're also going to get a pap smear. A pap smear is like a little pipe cleaner that goes into the cervix. And then we take it and we smear it on a microscope slide and we see, does this look like there might be cancer there? Like abnormal cells. Just a little, it's a screen. And then the HPV test, is it positive or negative? And then we take those two values and we determine, is there enough information here to warrant a biopsy, which is that painful claw thing I talked about? And if that shows that you have CIN, one, two, or three, or whatever, then there's going to be a decision made as to when do we repeat this, right? And again, there's not much information given to our, our patients in order to 
work on this so that maybe we can sort of improve the likelihood of this regressing, meaning going backwards or going away altogether. Um, and if it does progress sufficiently, you might be finding yourself with a leap or a cold knife cone or maybe even cervical cancer, which again is super low. It's less than 1% chance of getting cervical cancer. I mean, it's a pretty darn low, low risk. But anyways, so that's the basic prevention model. And then with the introduction of Gardasil 9, there was this promise that, hey, you've got the two, it's, it's either two or three doses, depending on when you get it. But it's, you know, even if you just got one, let's just say you did the two dose course. Um, now that you've done that, you're now protected. That's what they say. That's what they say. That's what has been advertised. And wow, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> like I was, I, I felt very fortunate that we had that when I was a resident. And it wasn't until I think later, as with many things, that you start to start to wonder, like, is this vaccine really working? And then, of course, you consider what's in vaccines and you end up with a slightly different picture. So from the standpoint of this vaccine, I think it's important to give a tiny little bit of history around Merck. Merck is the company that manufactures Gardasil 9. And we don't hear much about Merck because Merck was hit with about $14 million in lawsuits in 2007 for a, a, um, an alternative to ibuprofen called Vioxx. It's not really the same. It was a brand new novel therapy that worked like a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. And um, it was causing heart attacks and all these heart issues. And eventually it was pulled off the market and Merck was just fucked up. So they threw a Hail Mary and they realize there's a market here for this, right? And good on them. Maybe there was a good, maybe if they had done this correctly, they would have been our saviors. But as what typically happens in the development of these drugs or these injectables, we don't necessarily get the full picture as to what happens. So from a safety standpoint, I think it's important to start there. If you look at East Africa, so I did multiple years. I was going to uh, Malawi in East Africa, a tiny little sliver, one of the most impoverished countries in the world. Their HIV, their HPV, all of that stuff is just raging, as it is in most of Sub-Saharan Africa. Your risk of getting cervical cancer is 4.27 in 10,000 people. That's four, roughly 4 in 10,000 people develop cervical cancer. Again, a very, very small portion of the population. In the Merck safety trials there was a risk of about 81 in 10,000 of a serious adverse reaction. And now we don't have to unpack that, but some of these, they range from, you know, serious neurologic injury, like paralyzation to seizures, seizures to, um, to kind of like stroke-like symptoms to all, I mean, there's a wide variety of things, autoimmune conditions. Yeah. So, 81 in 10,000 of risk of, of a risk of a serious adverse reaction from Merck's own safety trial. This is in their package wow. insert, yeah. guys. Like, this is not it's conspiracy. It's in their package insert versus a risk of 4.27 in 10,000. So we already have a very, uh, a very low risk thing happening, dying of cervical cancer. Now, 4.27 is the risk if you were in East Africa like where we have way higher numbers. So if you're in the United States, that number is probably four in a hundred thousand. I mean, it's wow. so rare yeah. to die from cervical cancer. So you could get the vaccine and all comers are going to have a risk of 81 in 10,000 versus a very, very, very much less on a logarithmic uh, amount, less likelihood of dying of cervical cancer. But we also see risks of autism, right? Like this is multifactorial. I'm not, I am for the record, I'm not saying vaccines cause autism. I think autism is multifactorial. Mm -hmm. um, we do, however, know that 
many Alzheimer's patients, a, a, there, there's a, um, let's say there's a propensity for, for people who die of, auti- of Alzheimer's as well as people who die with autism to have a concentration of aluminum in the brain. And mm-hmm. aluminum adjuvants have replaced mercury in just the past 25 years or so as the stabilizing agent. I mean, it's, it's, it's the adjuvant that initiates the immune response. That's what they, they, say, what they say. They say it provides a more robust immune yeah. response. And we won't have time today to get into original antigenic sin and all this other stuff. But the point being that aluminum is in there and we're not even totally sure that it should be in there or that, that it has to be in there. Um, and certainly there should be some concern as to whether or not aluminum is part of the multifactorial problem that we see in the rise of autism. Back in, 20, um, back in 2000, one in 150 kids were diagnosed with autism. And of course, that is a wide spectrum. So maybe we've increased our diagnosis or our criteria or whatever. But in 2020, it was one in 36. Yeah, it's, so that's, that's a five-fold damn. increase. So it's at least a question we should be mm-hmm. thoughtful about. Right. Fertility. The miscarriage rate around our country is 10 to 15%, all comers. Women who were enrolled in the um, Gardasil trials that got pregnant while in the trial, the risk was 27%. Of Another having a miscarriage? Of having a miscarriage. Yeah. So that is a pretty darn big jump. I'd say that's a clinically significant jump. Mm-hmm. Autoimmune disorders, you know, asthma, all of that other stuff is another part of the safety conversation. So is there a, can we say it's proven that they're unsafe? No. Is there reason for us to be concerned about what might be in it if it's not all that useful? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So is it useful? (laughs) And one thing I want to beautifully put, I, I, I just want to tack on to that, that, um, there might be some healthcare providers listening, maybe even some gynecologists listening. I, I hope so. I hope so too. Um, and w- something they might be thinking is about the safety trials and the quality of the safety trials. Like, wait, they always do a placebo controlled trial. So yeah. we're, they're testing the safety and <laughs> I'm glad to bring in this. Up. Yeah. yeah. It, it's important to know, to really look into the raw data rather than just taking, you know, looking at an ad for Gardasil that a rep hands you in an office where it's like, yep, they tested for safety. Well, let's talk about that. What does that safety testing actually look like? When we talk about, they, they call these trials placebo controlled safety trials. And a placebo, the gold standard of a placebo is an inert saline solution. Mm-hmm. That's what they use in all most other sort of uh, placebo trials is that that's the gold standard. That's what the CDC admits. The FDA admits that that's the best. Well, in these trials for Gardasil, they weren't using a saline placebo. They were using an aluminum injection. Right. So what they were comparing was the HPV vaccine Gardasil with the aluminum adjuvant and all the VLPs and all the the mush that goes into <laughs> a vaccine. And the placebo was an aluminum solution. So every person in some of these studies was getting a hefty dose of aluminum in their body. Well, why do they do that? Uh, they have their own reasons, but what happens ultimately is that the actual safety data is now muddied, right? Because you've given now everybody aluminum. You have a placebo, not a placebo. Yeah. So if the placebo group, the placebo group, the placebo group has 
uh, a high amount of adverse reactions. And the test group also has a high amount of adverse reactions, which was the reality. Yeah. It was about uh, 46% in the uh, placebo group. The placebo group had some sort of new medical condition in the year or two after the trial versus the test group had 49% mm. had a raise in new medical uh, new medical diagnosis. So or, it's a wash. It's So now they can <laughs> see, oh, there was only, what they do is they, they look at the difference. Oh, it was only 3% different. Yeah. That's not really statistically significant. Yep. So then they just wash that away and right. they say it's been safety tested. There was no significant difference in the groups. Right, right. So these doctors, I, I, I feel for them because- they're busy. <laughs> they're reading. They're working with patients. They don't have time to read every study relevant to their work from start to finish and look yeah. at all the raw data. Like you were, you were one of the busiest people on earth <laughs> when you were, you know, uh, in, working in hospital. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just feel for them. So they might be defending something that they actually haven't taken a microscope to. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that that's a really relevant part to the the vaccine conversation and the safety trials is like, what were they actually testing? It wasn't a placebo. It wasn't a saline placebo. So that's uh, maybe you want to add to that. I don't know. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback on that. And then I can and then we can talk a little bit about whether or not we did see you know, maybe there are risks, but maybe we do see a really great boon to society for its prevention of cervical cancer. Hey friend, I wanted to change the subject for just a minute to read something really important to you. This is feedback we received from a woman named Kelly, one of our amazing users of Immune Intel AHCC. She says, So I've been taking AHCC for a little bit over a month and my skin has never looked so good. I am 35 and have suffered from hormonal acne since I was a teenager. I thought I would never get rid of my acne. I just had my period and I have absolutely no pimples around my chin or jawline and my melasma is finally clearing up too. I have tried countless prescription and over-the-counter medications and have seen so many dermatologists with little improvement. Also, I feel like my hormones have balanced out. I am less irritable, as well as less inflammation going on in my body, decreased back pain, and bloating. I'm so glad I came across you on Instagram. Thanks for sharing the knowledge. Okay, here's one more, just because they light me up so much to share with you. This beauty is staying anonymous. She says, I learned about Immune Intel AHCC from you on a podcast, and in four months, it helped clear my persistent high-risk HPV that I've had for seven years. I love these two testimonials next to each other because it's a testament to the balancing and normalizing effect that AHCC has in each individual body. One woman was supported with her acne flares and the other had support in clearing her high-risk HPV. I am consistently amazed by the power and intelligence of AHCC. To try Immune Intel for yourself, go to themedicine.com forward slash products, or just check the show notes below. Cheers, my love. Um, just to add on to that a little bit, when we, um, when we think about, when we think about the, the placebo, 
these these studies have been really, I think, fraught with. <sighs> I'm not so sure that it's it's necessarily like. I'm willing to say as a medical professional, maybe the intention wasn't bad. But I think it's really valuable for us to consider that almost every single one of the vaccines on the market has not um, been compared to placebo. Mm-hmm. And this is not something I w- love to talk about. Like, I hate this reality. But even when I was a first-year resident on, on my pediatrics rotation, one of the families there, I think I told you this story before, one of the families had asked me about all oh, the vaccines and what about the hepatitis B? And I was like, you know, honestly, I was an intern, little intern, and uh, I was on the pediatrics rotation. And so they were asking me about the vaccine. And I said, you know, honestly, of all the vaccines, I'm not really sure I totally understand the logic behind hepatitis B day one of life. And man, did I get chewed up afterwards. And if you look at Recombivax's safety, you know, safety sheet, it's like 147 people were enrolled and they looked for adverse reactions for five days didn't see enough. And so they were like, it's totally safe. And the FDA put it out there universally to be given to newborns, day one of life. That was one of the earlier predecessors to my sort of, uh, I don't know, increased interest in this topic. But when these companies are developing these drugs, remember Merck had lost $14 million. They were desperate to make this money back and they threw their Hail Mary into this one device and they needed to make sure that every single doctor out there was talking about this. They were paying um, lectures. I remember reading a statistic, $4,500 per lecture to just give a lunchtime talk about how important this is to you know community centers or to their um, whatever, their- Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood yeah. and, and impl- you know, corporate offices, mm-hmm. like everything, like in every single doctor's practice, this was happening. And there was a ton of money invested into that. So I think it just- like if you're having a re- reaction to this, whether you're a healthcare professional or otherwise, like we're here to help people, guys. Mm-hmm. If something smells fishy, it is incumbent on us to at least go and make sure that we check our internal bias. Yeah. Like, am I absolutely certain yeah. that what I was told by that Merck rep who was very beautiful and brought Panera bread for all of us? <laughs> I, I get it. Like, I know you, we all want to believe that everything out there is right. But now in retrospect, we're learning in ongoing litigation, I think it's in California, two of the authors of the HPV vaccine on trial, um, Kim Mac Rosenberg and Mary Holland, they're working on litigation right now that is going to be available to the public around all of the vaccine injury claims. Like there is enough for us, if we want to call ourselves scientists, to simply stop and ask, why is it not placebo controlled, Merck? Yeah, start if, there. If, yeah, Do like, that one yeah. thing. Why? And there was one subset of all of their safety trials that was truly placebo controlled. It was one of a bunch. Mm. And everybody focuses on that one. It is placebo controlled based on that one, one part of the data set, which like you said, muddies everything. Mm-hmm. So I think that was really important to include. Yeah. And um, from a, you know, from a, uh, efficacy standpoint you know the two things that i think are most relevant here is that this was advertised in the one less campaign as like one less case of cervical cancer one less yeah person dying of cervical cancer be one less be one less and and there was this was compelling to parents who i resonate guys like i hear you i feel you i'm going through this myself am i doing the wrong thing if i don't get my little girl's the gardasil and Six years for pennies should be getting shot against cervical cancer. It's very compelling language, but one of the more compelling parts of this conversation around the litigation is 
they have not demonstrated that this prevents cervical cancer. A big part of that is the surrogate markers. So we can say it maybe it prevents HPV, uh, persistent HPV, maybe, but that's actually not what they were advertising. Mm -hmm. So instead of using just HPV or instead of looking at cervical cancer, which you would have to do a 20-year study because it takes so long for this you know, cancer to develop. They use surrogate markers, which were SIN2 and SIN3. That's when you take the, the claw into the skin and remove a chunk. What, how abnormal is the tissue? How deep are these abnormal cells penetrating the, 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 the skin over the cervix? And while that's okay, the problem with using that as a surrogate marker is that, as you mentioned, Mimi, most of this SIN stuff, even SIN3, which is the most advanced, the next step from that is invasive cancer, most of it goes away. It goes backwards. It gets better on its own because your body wants to live. So just a couple quick statistics. If you get HPV, up to 90% of it just goes away within two years. Younger, healthier, non-smokers generally have a better fare at that. But 90% is a pretty darn giant chunk of our population. If you get the biopsy, right, the HPV doesn't go away or the pap smear shows that it's starting to become a little funky looking under the microscope, then you go and get the biopsy. And if SIN1, that's the first degree, is, uh, is the result, only 5% of those will progress to SIN2. So there, and again, you're in the 95% group, most likely. But our doctors overemphasize, hey, most people clear it. Well, what if you're not one of those people that clear it? And we'll get into that. You know, like how can we shift this law of averages in our favor? If the result comes back sin two, maybe you had sin one last time and it came back and they did it again and now it's sin two, up to 60% is going to go backwards. So your body is like really good at getting rid of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And even if it goes to sin three, up to 50% is going to go away, go backwards or go away altogether. So using those as the surrogate markers is kind of unfair. It's like saying, um, it's like making a modifica modification to your car in the event that you have to jump over like a water bridge. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. hey, if yeah. that water bridge, you, you're going to have the extra NOS, right? You're going to be able to nitrous or whatever, NOS. Yeah. You're going to be able to launch yourself over. Yeah. And it's like, well, okay, but what are the chances, what are the of, chances that? <laughs> of that really happening? So, um, so since I, since I, you know, I, I think that's the first thing is that we're, we're saying, hey, it'll prevent you from getting this thing that is likely to be cleared anyways, mm -hmm. especially if you've got some good coaching, maybe some directed supplementation, we're sleeping well, all the stuff we're going to talk about later. But then also you mentioned the negative e efficacy. So what you were referring to, and I'll just kind of elaborate on it a little bit, is that um, they've, they've done a, a, an RCT where they had women with HPV 16 or 18. So they came back as high risk HPV positive. They controlled them and then they ran. Well, they randomized to them to a control group or an intervention group. And the intervention group was going to get Gardasil 9 after the original HPV infection. And those women in, that, the, in the experimental group actually had a higher risk of developing SIN2 or SIN3, meaning the, the something about the vaccine, either A, the vaccine harmed them in some way, which is kind of hard to imagine, but on the other hand, maybe it made them feel protected and they were maybe a little bit less cavalier with doing some of those lifestyle things or maybe they, you know, maybe more partners or whatever. Like it's, it's, it's all spirit, mere speculation. But the point is, is that this Gardasil 9 thing is advertised as don't worry about everything. Now you've got Gardasil on top 
And it doesn't seem to have actually made much of a difference and perhaps has done quite a bit of harm. Yeah. And this makes such a great transition into how do you, if, if 90% can, can support clearing naturally, how do you lean into this? And it's, it's funny because as we're going through the various uh, feedback that you might get from your, your doctor, you know, one of them includes hold still, come see me in six months. It's almost like they started 5% of the conversation, right. which, which should have been, let me see you in six months because your body is this beautifully adaptive, immune supporting uh, entity that has the capacity to heal itself. Let me explain to you the various modalities, lifestyle practices, mindset, uh, supplementation protocols, uh, community that you can now engage in to work with nature in clearing this mm -hmm. HPV. And this is the white space, right? This yeah. is the massive white space that you both are jumping into. And so let's let's start the conversation. Maybe this is where we can start marrying some of the the program meat that you've put into the to the clear and free program with what is available for folks to lean into this ninety percent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think that that's that's really great that you mentioned that the ninety percent. Nathan mentioned the ninety percent. Most people will clear this virus, 90% of people roughly will clear this virus within one to two years with no big deal, no major changes. Uh, and they, they come back and take a look at a year or two and see where they're at. But the, the person who just got diagnosed doesn't know right. if she's yeah. in the 90% or if she's perhaps in the 10%. So she's laying in bed at night wondering if there's anything that she can do to help her body. And this is these are, you know, some of the flavors or the themes that show up in the messages that come to me is like, well, what can I do? Yeah. My doctor didn't tell me anything. And to be frank, there's so much that you can do. There's so much that you can do to support your body such that it is equipped and able to clear this thing naturally without any hassle, without any invasive procedures, without any injections. There's so much that you can do. And the way that I wanted to approach creating this course with Nathan, right off the bat, we talked about like, what is our intention with yeah. this? And for me, really, it's, it's, it's a, an invitation to evaluate your lifestyle on every aspect such that you can equip and give your body the necessary support so that it can do what it knows how to do, which is heal. You don't have to ask your body to heal. If you cut your arm, you don't have to do anything. Your arm, your skin knows how to heal. There's no difference between the arm skin and the cervical skin really in its intelligence, the body's intelligence um, uh, of healing. And so it's like, okay, how do we remove the barriers, remove the obstacles to healing, maybe identify some things that can be tweaked here and there, and then add in some really good stuff, some research back supplementation whole foods as your main source of nutrition. Hey, let's look at your mindset. Like, how are you treating yourself? Are you walking around every day with a lot of shame on your back for having this sexually transmitted, you know, infection or some, you know, some call it disease, STI? How are you, what are you saying to yourself about yourself? 
Are you giving yourself time for stillness on a daily basis in this go, go, go society that we all live in? We are praised for working harder and sleeping less when we actually need the reverse to support healing. Working in and working out in an intelligent way. How are you moving your body in a way that is kind and restorative? Not just beating yourself yourself up in the gym seven days a week at Orange Theory. Like Maybe we can take a step back and sort of evaluate with curiosity and compassion. This isn't like a flogging exercise of, you know, oh, I'm not doing anything right. I, I'm doing all this stuff wrong. No, 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 no. This is just an invitation. Yeah. And we all receive these invitations in different packages in our life. A moment to step back, take a bird's eye view of what we're currently doing in our life and really asking the question honestly, like, is what I'm doing supportive of my goal, my dream, my objectives in life? And, you know, HPV is just another one of those types of invitations our divorce was an invitation for me to evaluate, like, what am I doing? Is this working? Like, how's my mental energy? How's my emotions? How's my inner world? Some, for some people, it's um, a death of a loved one. For some people, it's a different kind of diagnosis or a chronic illness or whatever. Like, we all receive these invitations to zoom out and with curiosity and compassion, evaluate the different aspects of your lifestyle that ultimately contribute to your expression of health. Yeah. yeah. So that's what really is missing from the, the mainstream sort of conventional model is support on every level, physical, emotional, mental, relational, spiritual. And that's ultimately what we created. Um, I'll kick it to Nathan to, to add anything there. I yield my time. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's very beautifully put. I, I, uh, you know, I, we, we love to think that, you know, disease is like some sort of deficiency in something. And maybe that's true, but it's really, for me, it's like, listen, I, I'm just getting an invitation here to reevaluate some part of my life. And I do want to end up in that 90%, you know, for whatever condition, you know, hypothetical 90% for every other thing that we're worried about, you know, developing. Um, cancer, of course, is something we all have to think about. Yeah. You know, for men, it's other types of cancer, you know, for, in general. But um, like, thank God we get these signals. Like, yeah. thank God that like, it's yeah. like a little reminder, you know, I, I'm in adrenal fatigue like I had in, in residency. I'm not in now, but back then it was like, I have abs, I'm ripped, I'm golden bronze from being in California or eating organic food and all this stuff. But I was only sleeping three hours mm -hmm. per day because that's all the time that I was afforded. And sure enough, I, my wheels were falling off. So it was like, oh, thank God this happened now and not when I have kids. Because I could really reevaluate the importance of, of rest and relaxation and Dr. Quiet, you know, in, in order to like keep myself going. So thank you for that. I think that's a really important reminder is that, hey, there are a lot of things out of your control. But if there is something in your control, they can take those numbers that we gave and improve them even more yeah. in your mm -hmm. favor. Then you don't have then you have to worry about being in the 1%, not the 10%. That's a big difference. Yeah. And hey, you might get your libido back and hey, your connection right. with your mm -hmm. partner might get right. better yeah. and you might like feel like going to the gym again. I mean, or you know, you you might yeah. just live longer. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a really good point. Um, you know, this this course of course is 
This course, of course, this program is, of course, centered around the conversation on HPV. Um, but this isn't an HPV program. This is really a, a holistic solution to support you in preventing, like you said, all these other things yeah. that we have to yeah. face. Diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, like these big killers. Um the puzzle pieces are pretty much the same for this term that we use in the program and, and we teach about salutogenesis, which yeah. is, yo, the body knows what to do. The body knows how yeah. to heal. If we are removing the sort of um, the barriers to healing and adding in some more, maybe replacing with some good stuff, some yeah. better stuff. And uh, so that's, that's, you know, something that I really want to drive home. That's like, Yes, this is a program that's centered around HPV statistics and everything, but this will also help you for the rest of yeah. your life. Th yeah. th there's a few things, if you guys don't mind, I'd love to drill in on a little bit further. And if you don't mind teasing just a bit uh, about what the program offers from these sort of pillars, if you will, mm -hmm. from the from the program itself. I'd love to talk about food. I think that's one that's just so applicable to everybody. Um I think it's worthwhile to get into medicinal mushrooms and how important they are in this specific program to the to the healing and the clearing journey and arguably maybe most important uh the emotional mental component of this mm -hmm. um the shame aspect oh yeah that's been associated yeah. and attached to hpv and so i'd love to get into that a little bit in detail so maybe we can get into some of these pillars you mentioned food food as medicine nutrition as medicine and this is obviously very very important these are the big rocks you know we can talk about the granular things like cold plunge like sauna like meditation or transcendental meditation whatever those are the tiny rocks let's talk about the big boulders that need to be in place if we're going to support our body fully and there is no no aspect more significant than what we are feeding our body in the form of nutrients and how we are gifting our body the necessary tools to make things like proteins to rebuild cells and what i find a lot um you know the women that come to me they're confused because what they're saying is like i don't get it i'm so healthy mm. i I, I'm a vegan or I'm a vegetarian or I do Whole30 or I, you know, um, I work out every day. I don't get it. I'm so healthy. How did I get this? We and, hear this a lot in pregnancy too. Where it's yeah. like, I'm so healthy. How did this happen? And it's like, well, do we have the boulders in place? Yeah. 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 And so a lot of times this can be sort of an archetype of a woman. And I know this so well, this orthorexic state where your healthy habits are get to the point where they're kind of severe such that they become unhealthy. It's too strict. It's you're not actually maybe getting enough calories. You maybe you're working out every day and eating so strict and lean that your body is in a deficit for years. Or you do a juice cleanse once a month. And you're, although that can be on occasion, a great clearing isn't necessarily something that should be sustained over a long yeah. period of time. Yeah. And, right. and so, you know, when we talk about food, it's like, yeah, the, the holy grail is all organic whole foods and pasture raised eggs and meat and 
organ mates, things that are very nutrient dense that you're gifting your body so that it can rebuild. This is not a time to be restrictive. I don't care if you have a Vegas vacation coming up or a bikini shoot or whatever. This is not a time. We've all done it. We've all been there. We've all restricted for an outcome that's like, oh, I just got to tighten it up a little bit for this or for that. And and there is this epidemic in diet culture. And I've spent most of my life in that space. Thankfully, I'm out of it. But this lie that women are told that we need to be smaller I'm not saying that obesity is the answer. I'm saying that we're fed this lie that you need to have abs. You need to have, you know, big boobs and a big butt and a tiny waist. And there are these trends of female beauty that come in and out of style. And women sort of triangulate their food and their lifestyle habits based on what is in style at that time and i've been there i've done it and so these can, I, can i add something real quick yeah because you know there's a lot of women out there who are actually overweight and they're way healthier than people that are on these like very sh- restrictive sort of lifestyles mm-hmm. and that's you know sort of reflected in my in my pregnancy and, and childbirth care is like just because you're overweight doesn't mean you're unhealthy if you are overweight or underweight due to you know otherwise modifiable things in your life either of those extremes are are not necessarily Mm -hmm. in alignment with the optimal function of your immune system or your your body and your multiple organ systems in general so uh, you know what we're not saying is that that either of these extremes make sense you know Mm -hmm. and what i what i really want to impress upon people um, in addition, you'll, you'll get into this is that what we can do with diet also doesn't require that you go to Erewhon and spend $20 right. on right. a smoothie in LA. It could be some very, very basic things that mm-hmm. you're taking out and just replacing with fresh produce or something like that. This doesn't have to break the bank, yeah. Yeah. but it is important to step back and really evaluate mm-hmm. what am I eating? Is there any little thing that I can do better? Am I happy with my weight? Am I being too restrictive? Those are good questions mm-hmm. to ask. And it's a it's a big conversation. You know, this isn't just like a quick thing. The, the changes can be small, but there's a lot of education that we go into. We go deep into the different nutrients that your body needs and what foods contain those nutrients. Yeah. And we literally give you a breakdown of like foods to focus on and maybe ones to avoid a little bit. So that's that's a huge aspect of the program is is nutritional guidance. We're not making a protocol for you. We're not giving you a checklist, a a grocery list. You need to use your body as a feedback system. Yeah. Yeah. And understand what foods work for you and what foods don't, how you feel afterwards. So we, we get into a lot of the nitty gritty inside the program what what i love about this and i know you get into movement as well Mm -hmm. you've got food and movement nutrition and fitness and in the health space space at large we are at a loss for some critical components to the the fitness and diet the movement and food conversation that include accountability yeah that include community and include relationships my healing journey in my life was only seen when I included these other aspects outside of just the food, just the movement. It's an intelligent, specific, nuanced protocol or program that has worked with the bio-individual person Mm -hmm. in their own journey. And that's what I'm so excited that you guys get to to showcase. Yeah. Yeah. 
want to also talk about maybe the quarterback to this program, <laughs> the, the team that you're, yeah. you're, you're showcasing through this program. Um, that is the use of medicinal mushrooms. Yeah. And, and I've seen it from you. You've literally traveled to Japan to meet the experts in this realm to validate the, the science that's supporting uh, what, what has come out with AHC, AHCC specifically, which is this really incredible derivative of shiitake mushroom. And if you're familiar with the medicine podcast at all, you know that we've been massive advocate uh, advocates for AHCC over the years. But maybe talk a little bit about, you know, mentioned it before, research-backed mm -hmm. studies pertaining to AHCC and its use for supporting the body's ability to clear HPV. Yeah. Yeah. You're, I love your uh, analogy or your metaphor of uh, the, the quarterback because you, you do need the whole team. The quarterback is just one piece. He can't win the game on, uh, on his own, right? Like you have to have these other players. So AHCC is one piece of the puzzle, but it's a very, very, very important piece of the puzzle. And it's, it's research-backed, clinically research-supported. Um, and so the specific study that you mentioned, uh, and I mentioned it earlier in my, in my kind of introduction and how I got into this work, the study that was published um, came out of Texas. And what they did was they got about uh, 50 women with high-risk HPV, and they separated them into a true placebo group, a real placebo, and the test group, the experimental group that was receiving AHCC. So no aluminum in the uh, control. No, no, they did not. Pen. They left the aluminum out, thank God. Um, <laughs> and so what they did was it was double-blinded, so no one knew who got what. And the test group, the experimental group, received three grams of AHCC per day for six months. The placebo group received a, an inert sugar pill for six months. And then they looked at, okay, who's clearing HPV? And the test group, <laughs> just phenomenal results, 64% um, of the women who were receiving HCC <sighs> cleared wow. HPV in six months or less. Mimi, can I jump in there? Yeah. Because I'm a doctor listening. I have no financial... Um, investment in immune intel hcc or like i have absolutely i care zero fucks <laughs> <laughs> however i'm also a clinician and like i said before i care for people when i heard that when you sent me the paper because mm -hmm. i was still like a little skeptical right but then i started giving it to people and uh i was getting these these great responses back and um when you read that study as a doctor you can push back in every which way on every woo-woo, esoteric, whatever, holistic, health coaching, blah, 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 blah. When you see a study that has shown it will help you, the person who's in there with their legs in stirrups, underwear off, and they're trembling at the thought of this progressing. Mm -hmm. If you do nothing else, why not consider something, forget the vegetables and grass-fed beef even. <laughs> I don't think that you're going to be doing them a great service by leaving out all the other stuff that helps a immune intel do its work. But when you see it in a peer-reviewed journal done with rigorous study yeah. in people, not even just in rodents or something, which is what most of our research is done on. They did those too. <laughs> well, they, you, they yeah. did a ton of studies. Yeah. Um, you have to just like be thoughtful about what this could mean to your practice. Again, yeah. I'm not making money by saying that. I am here to help people so that yeah. they are not coming back to me 
with the fear that these screens are going to come back positive mm-hmm. or that they're going to end up with cervical cancer. There is really compelling evidence here for this. Yeah. Go on. No, thank you. That was perfect. Um, so, yeah, they saw this huge number of women clearing HPV with the support of this product, AHCC. And it does, you mentioned it, it, it comes from shiitake mushrooms and it's a patented process where they culture it over the process of, over the course of 60 days ish. And it's, it's really unique. It's, we call it the mushroom unicorn because it is one of one. It's one of a kind, this patented process that they have. And through this process, AHCC becomes more bioavailable and more uh, absorbable by the body because of its molecular size. So the body is able to take it in and process it more effectively than say other medicinal mushrooms. Or if someone was just to eat a bunch of shiitake mushrooms, that's not how it works. It's not comparable. Um, So it's really helpful in, in providing, amplifying the innate intelligence that exists in the body with, by the way, zero negative side effects. I haven't heard of any yet. So, um, you know, in comparison, I, you know, I said 64% of the women in the test group cleared HPV in six months or less. That's not counting the people that cleared it in seven months or eight months. Everyone's mm. different. Some women were two months. Some women were eight months. You know, that's just the time frame that they put in the study. In the placebo group, only two women cleared on their own out of the 19 that were receiving the, the placebo. So that's a huge statistical, very significant difference between the placebo and the test group. What they did then was they unblinded it and said, okay, this group of women, hey, you didn't receive the AHCC. You're still positive. Do you want to take the AHCC now? And uh, 12 women accepted. And over the course of the next six months for them, 50% more were cleared. Wow. And... You know, that's in and of itself, that number, the 64% and the 50%, huge, (laughs) amazing. But they also didn't change anything else in their lifestyle. They were instructed not to because they just want to count for one variable in in clinical research. And so what could that number have been if they would have maybe gotten some guidance around nutrition, around movement, around mindset, around how to relate to their partner about this very difficult topic of this sexually transmitted infection that may also probably also is affecting their partner right what if they would have changed just a little bit in these other bolder areas of their life so like i said ahcc is an important piece of the puzzle but it is just one piece yeah and so i love that that you know we're talking about these big pillars and and food and movement and fitness and nutrition and in the program itself the the specific protocol is baked into the program itself as it pertains to using AHCC as a complement with these other modalities. Um, I think there will will even be an opportunity to access Mm -hmm. immune intel AHCC through the program. Yeah. Everyone who participates, every participant will receive, if they want it, uh, their first bottle of AHCC free. Um, uh, because, you know, I, I, I want to make this so easy for people to get started right away if they want to from the very beginning. Now, they have to participate. They have to, you know, put their address in and, and you know, put in the discount code for 100% off. But everyone will have that first bottle free yeah. and they can get started immediately with this very supportive 
medicinal mushroom product. Um, and the last sort of boulder, big boulder that I want to talk about is you mentioned the emotional, the mental, the shame piece, mm -hmm. which is another just huge heartbreaking piece of the conversation. And I've mentioned it a little bit, this shame that's carried kind of baked into this diagnosis. And yeah, it is absolutely heartbreaking that women feel so alone. They feel like they can't talk to anyone. Many times I've been told, you're the only person I've told in my life yeah. that I have HPV. Me, a stranger, a stranger on the internet. And that's fine. I'm, I'm happy to, to hold their hand and to, to help them, to guide them. But <laughs> it's a problem if we feel like we can't mm. even tell the closest people or our partner who we're having sex with. How do I tell my partner? You know, did he give it to me? Did I, am I giving it to him? Who did he get it from? I've spoken to virgins who were, I've spoken to women who were virgins when they got married and they still got HPV from their partner. Um, I've spoken to a very, you know, a very dear friend of mine, I'll keep her anonymous, but a very dear friend of mine got an HPV diagnosis after the first time that she had sex when she was like 21. So it's not <laughs> this dirty, infection, shameful thing that society has kind of put this label on. It, it really is like anyone and everyone can get this thing. Um, so a big piece of the course is looking at the shame piece, looking at where that comes from. What is that rooted in? What, what are the stories that you're telling your, yourself about yourself? How do we start to release some of the shame and get you into a community of people who know exactly what you're going through? Alongside me, myself, I've talked to thousands of women at this point who come to me who are desperate Nathan is a, a professional in this space. He sees this all the time and talks to women all the time about this. You are in good company. Yeah, you're not and alone. And we're here to support you. You are absolutely not alone. And every other participant in this program knows exactly where you're at, what you're going through, what questions you have, and, and all of that. And so this the community aspect is very, very important. I, I think it just for humans in general, we need community. Yeah. We are not yeah. meant to navigate every difficult situation and circumstance in our life alone and so that's part of my mission just why <laughs> i think i was put here why i exist is to help women with this release of shame because i i know how you feel i've been there in my own life i've carried shame for years and i want to share what has worked for me in releasing shame around sexuality around your body all of that. Um, yeah, I, I could keep going on, but I'll, I'll, I'll stop there and, and let Nathan jump in here if you want. Yeah, I just, I, I just want to riff a little bit on the shame thing. You know, we see shame as just this, you know, this sort of like, oh, this thing happened, like, let's talk it over and get through it. But like, a lot of us carry shame for a variety of reasons. Um, a lot of us carry uh, chronic stress for a variety of reasons. The biggest one is probably relationships and finances. A lot of Americans in particular, despite us being such a rich country, have so many people that are stressed out as to how they're going to pay their bills and all of that. And when we look at, you know, even minorities or people of uh, really across the spectrum, people who have tremendous stress, whether it's through shame or whatever, it could even be self-imposed through all this stuff we've already talked about, like restrictive eating and whatnot. 
this does impact how your immune system works. Mm -hmm. And to sort of illustrate for people maybe a slightly different, uh, I don't know, perspective on stress. I think most people, when they think of the autonomic nervous system, you've got your sympathetic, which is your gas pedal, and your parasympathetic, which is your rest, your, your break. So we've got flight or fight, rest and digest. But it, through the lens, I've been studying through the, uh, with the Prana Foundation, polyvagal theory. And when you look actually at, at the nervous system in more complexity, you see that the parasympathetic actually has two giant branches. The first is your freeze. It's the I can't message. Mm. That's your dorsal vagal nervous system. And in the uterus, this is what de develops first. The baby's heart rate is a lot lower than you would normally hear it with the Doppler. Then, as the baby develops, they develop their sympathetic nervous system. And you see a spike, a boost of their heart rate up. That's the gas pedal, right? Well, the ventral vagal part of the parasympathetic, it's basically all the vagus nerve endings above the diaphragm, if you want to simplify it. That actually leads to the I, can, I, I am. So sympathetic is I can, dorsal vagal was I can't, and now the ventral vagal is the I am. That's the, when you are motivated to just show up in the world. Like we all know what that feels like. Mm -hmm. And as you get older, I think that you sort of lose sight of that. But little kids are living in that. Like they right. are just embodied mm -hmm. little Buddhas. So the reason it's important to consider these various parts of the nervous system is that even when a baby is born, a baby needs to feel safe through that mother ease and through all the little goos and gaz and like us holding them. And, you know, right after birth, I've talked, you know, everybody's ear off about what hospital birth looks like compared to home birth. But a, a great reason that kids born at home and mothers who give birth at home are doing so well is because they can start that co-regulation process immediately mm -hmm. after birth without the sharp needles and the bright lights and all this craziness, the noises and everything in the hospital, which probably doesn't feel safe to a little being that has just come earthside. So little kids who grow up in, in environments where they don't have a lot of parental attention, they're not able to be held by mom. Maybe they were in an incubator for two months of their life. There is absolutely um, a mechanism there behind which that little child is not going to develop in an optimal way. Guys, I'm not saying that preterm babies are all like doomed or anything. What I am saying is that if there's anything we can do to make a baby feel safe, whether they're in the NICU or not, we're going to benefit the completion of the development of their ventral vagal nervous system. And so back to chronic stress, if a person is chronically stressed, they may find themselves slipping down this autonomic ladder. Again, ventral vagal at the top, I am. You're, you're sympathetic, I can, and then your dorsal vagal, I can't. If a person doesn't feel safe, mm -hmm. It does demonstrably impact their nervous system. And before a person can connect, whether it's intimately or otherwise, developing deep friendships like we have, you have to feel safe first. Yeah. So the shame and everything that we throw at people may throw them down the autonomic ladder. And that actually <laughs> indirectly, you know, like I'm not blaming people for this, but if we continue to perpetuate this conversation around shame and blame and all this other stuff, whether it's around another pandemic or it's about what's happening at Burning Man or it's happening <laughs> politically, like we are not going to be able to connect with one another yeah. and our world is desperate for connection. And this, so the same things, you know, the rest, the, um, the slowing down, the being present, the holding one another, the touching your babies, all of that, not isolating ourselves. I not going, I'm not trying to not go down that path is actually 
impacting our, our nervous system, it's impacting our immune system, and it's leading to greater disconnection in perpetuating the story of shame and blame. Our community, I'm hoping, mm-hmm. I'm hoping we can create a very safe space for people to start rising up the autonomic ladder and become motivated and find resources and find community yeah. to squelch this problem and to kick that shame language aside because mm-hmm. it's not serving anybody. Right. No, right. no, absolutely not. Yeah, that was beautiful. Thank oh, you. Thank you. <laughs> I think one of the most beneficial things to this program will be the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've seen both of you and your work directly with people. I mean, the, the, the feedback that, that you've both shared with me, it, it's that, that very sense. It's that I don't feel alone. Yeah. And maybe you can get into some of the specifics of what the, what the community will be doing through the program. The fact that there will be an ability to communicate very openly with both of you, um, with with each other mm-hmm. um, and, and how that can practically look as one partakes in the clear and free program. We will be having for all of the participants of the course, we will be having monthly calls, group calls. You can join. You don't have to join if you don't want to, but you will have direct access to us and the group to ask questions, to feel supported, or just like to vent, to talk. Um, We're going to have different um, holistic health experts coming on. We will have some calls that are just Nathan and I, but we will be inviting other people in as well uh, to come and and speak to a, a specific aspect of holistic health. So those will be really fun to have those guests in uh, as well. And then um, when you sign up for the program, you will also have an opportunity if you want to, to schedule a one-on-one call with either myself or Nathan. So if you feel like, you know, this is great, I'm going to do the program, but I also just want to talk face-to-face with just you or just Nathan, you'll have that opportunity as well. So we are coming at it from every angle. If you're a visual learner, if you're an auditory learner, we've created customized guided meditations uh, for Mm. hopefully your your regular stillness practice. Um, And so whatever way that you like to learn, whether it's one-on-one or in a group setting or just on your own with your laptop, we have, we got you. Um, we, we wanted to come at it from a bunch of different angles. And uh, if, if I could, I, I do want to just share one uh, more testimonial that I received recently that just touched my heart. Um, and uh, I just, I want anyone out there who's listening, if this is resonating, if you're in this space, if you're navigating the integration process of the HPV message, um, let this be um a note of encouragement to you that it can be done. There are women that are doing this all the time, every day. So this testimonial, she says, I'm crying as I type this. Just six months after messaging you, I got news from my doc today that my body has fully cleared HPV and all or abnormal cells. Mm. It feels like a miracle, but I know it's the combination of taking immune intel AHCC improving my lifestyle choices, treating my body with love, and believing it could and would heal. I have so much gratitude for you, the support you provide for women, and sharing this incredible option to further support healing. Mm. I love that. (laughs) I just love it so much because it's just a perfect representation of someone who took the initiative, took ownership, wasn't flogging herself, Mm. 
treating her body like a friend she was meant to help. I love that. And looking at it from every different angle. Yes, she had the AHCC, but she also was believing in herself. She was taking action every day, making small changes, speaking to herself differently, incorporating more stillness, being kinder to herself in her exercise and movement. And all of those puzzle pieces came together. And after three abnormal paps, only three months of that change and those that tweaking to the lifestyle, she's completely healed. And um, I, I hope that we have a thousand more yeah. <laughs> of those testimonials. I think we will. My, I, my goal is to, for us to, to help save a thousand cervixes. Like, I would love that. <laughs> me too. Yeah. God, that's a lot of services. That's yeah. <laughs> services. Is that the plural? I, I think it is, but I wasn't <laughs> going to correct you. <laughs> yeah. So if anyone is interested in this program, if you want to learn more, you can obviously reach out to Nathan and I. We are here to support you, to guide you, to help you. As far as timing of the the program and when it launches, um, how can people mark their calendars for when yeah. this thing goes live? Yeah. So right now, you can join the waitlist if you want. We'll have that link in the show notes. Um, so you can join the waitlist anytime you want. It's now about mid-October. So you can take action today if you want. We will be launching and starting like course is open in the beginning of November. November 6th is the the launch date. But right now you can take action and join the waitlist if you want. Yeah, we won't leave anybody out. And one last thing I want to add to what you said is that uh, bear in mind for those women out there, you're going to be screened. Your doctor is going to be interested in screening you for these things until you're well into your 60s. So this is like, this is, we're talking health span. We're talking lifespan. We're talking about like a long-term plan for you to make sure that this is not something you have to worry about. So whether or not you um, are, uh, you know, actively working through some of this stuff, or if it's something that you're thoughtful about for your kids, mm -hmm. for your wife, That's for huge. yourself, like there is something here for everybody. We actually even included some information in there directly for the men um, so that you can have a little bit of I don't know, guidance as to how to communicate around some of these intimate topics with your partner. We want everybody to be included here. Um, and and when you when you come to us, we will definitely work with you in some way to make sure that everybody who really, really needs this can get in. And we're just so grateful to... Uh, I'm kind of also grateful for you for like pushing me along so we could finally get this out there because I've been yeah. like champing at the bit yeah. to be able to give this to my clients and yeah. my family and all of my patients. Like I'm, I'm just really stoked that we now have this, this option out there yeah. for people. Yeah. Uh, I'm so grateful for you both having witnessed both of you with countless one-on-ones with countless consultations and coaching and, and just the sheer volume mm -hmm. of people needing something like this program to have had both of you think outside the box to know that you had to collaborate and to come up with something that can have the most impact outside of just chopping wood one by one through coaching right. and consultation yeah. that this is such a solution that exists in a white space that is needed mm -hmm. for society we're talking about yeah. 80 million people and it is being unaddressed from from the perspective that both of you have been been taking uh with this and so just just huge props to you both um if you're listening i mean this is such a relevant 
topic. This is such an important conversation. Even if you don't know of anyone directly in your life that has HPV, there's a good chance that they do. It's okay to bring this up. Mention that you've listened to this episode. This is fascinating stuff. This is important. This can be an inclusive conversation. Yeah. This share it on share this episode on your Instagram. Share it on your Instagram. Yeah. You have no idea the amount of people who have come to me and said, My friend shared this, you know, Instagram reel or post, and I found you through my friend yeah. that shared. Yeah. There's you have no idea. Just because your friends and sisters and cousins aren't telling you they have HPV. This is how we create uh, movement and change in this space is by people passing it along, yeah. especially when the people who are positive are kind of buttoned up about it. Um, and they have that right, of course. So it, it's really helpful if you just share this, maybe send it to someone you know or loves, share it on your Instagram because you don't know which of your followers is Googling that day how do I clear HPV? Scary. What am I going yeah. to do? You have yeah. no idea who's navigating that. So um, I'm humbly asking, you know, to, to help us in this mission to save more services. Um, <laughs> and, and you listening can, can be an active participant in, in this awareness growing around HPV. So thank you in advance for helping us. Incredible. Any last words, my friends? Oh, I just... I want to say again, I, I've told Nathan a thousand times, but um, I am just so honored to work with you on this project. And not only that, just to, to witness you and be around you and to call you friend. Um, you're just such an incredible light. And, and I honestly don't know of a bigger advocate for women uh, and, and cervical health and birth experience just all around the woman the female experience i just don't know a bigger advocate and i'm just so grateful and honored to be with you in this journey likewise my friend i love you <laughs> love you too thank you so much everybody for listening share the episode start the conversation let's get hpv awareness out there there are solutions and there are communities that are going to be taking this thing uh, into the next realm of <laughs> healing yes. and vitality. Sending everybody so much love and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Hey friend, thanks for listening. Did you hear anything today that expanded your mind, made you laugh, touched your soul, or caused you to think differently about this topic? I hope so. I invite you to share this episode with someone you love. It takes 30 seconds and has the potential for a great ripple effect. Our world needs more people having real, honest, and open-minded dialogue on big topics. And you never know, you may just change their entire day. We love you and appreciate you being here with us. Cheers. <laughs>